When I was a kid, I played a lot of crappy video games. It's hard to remember if I knew it at the time. Video games were expensive. I just made the most of whatever I could get. Birthdays, Christmases, these are my only chances to get my hands on a prized N64 game. Pick the wrong game, and the decision haunts you for months. Asking my grandmother for Toy Story 2 the video game for Christmas still haunts me to this very day. If I thought it was bad at age 7, I can only imagine how bad it really was. Almost 20 years later, the way that video games are enjoyed has dramatically changed, and one company hopes to prevent another Toy Story 2 debacle from ever happening again. What if there was a catch-all subscription service that offered unlimited access to every single game? Would traditional brick-and-mortar stores adapt to the changing market? And would it be a solution or just the beginning of a bigger problem? On January 23rd, 2018, Microsoft's head of gaming, Phil Spencer, shares some exciting plans for the Xbox brand. Xbox Game Pass, the subscription service they launched in June of 2017 that offered unlimited access to a catalog of over 100 games, would now include all first-party releases on the exact same day they are released to the public. For those unfamiliar with the industry, first-party is nerd-speak to describe a game that is published directly by the console manufacturer, so in this case, Microsoft. The first game that this initiative applies to is the March release Sea of Thieves, a multiplayer pirate adventure game developed by Rare, the same studio responsible for classics such as GoldenEye 64 and Donkey Kong Country. A new franchise that relies on a multiplayer community developing around it is a good fit for the initiative if you think about it. Microsoft benefits from the increased publicity and a healthy injection into the player base. But it is the promise of companies' heavy hitters that gives Microsoft Game Pass some legitimacy the next Gears of War, or Forza Motorsport, and of course, their most lucrative franchise, Halo, will all be available to subscribers as soon as they are for people purchasing the full game. You might be wondering, how much does this cost? I am going to work in American dollars to keep it simple. Currently, a six-month subscription costs $60. That's cheaper than the standard Netflix subscription for some context. Likewise, a typical first-party release also costs $60. So a consumer who buys two games a year could instead put that towards a year subscription to the service, which includes over 100 games to date, and with more added each month. That's a value proposition that might make gamers rethink how they choose to spend their money. How are brick and mortar stores supposed to compete? GameStop, branded EB Games in Canada, is the most recognized specialized video game retailer there is. They're fighting a war on two fronts right now. Like every retailer, Amazon threatens to squash all competition. Toys R Us announced in March that they would be shuttering the remaining 700 stores in the U.S., resulting in the loss of over 33,000 American jobs. This came only a month after they had closed 200 stores, laying off another 9,000 employees. High overhead costs made it impossible for Toys R Us to compete with the competitive pricing that Amazon can offer. GameStop faces those same challenges, but they also need to compete with the digital marketplace offered directly on these gaming platforms. You can imagine that they are not too thrilled about Microsoft's efforts to push Game Pass. In order to remain relevant, they too came up with a consumer-friendly subscription service. On October 29, 2017, GameStop announced the Power Pass program. A six-month subscription costs $60, sounds familiar, right? And allows customers to choose a game from GameStop's pre-owned library take it home, then swap it with something else when you're done. There's no limit on the number of games you can play during the six months. The best part? When the six months are up, you get to choose a pre-owned game to keep. 
For the cost of a single game, you can play as many games as you like for six months, pick your favorite, and add it to your collection. If it sounds too good to be true, you're not wrong. Set to launch on November 19th, the initiative was put on hold just five days before it was set to debut. The program had soft launched that week, and after only a couple of days, the company realized it was maybe more ambitious than they had thought. A spokesperson for the company cited that a few program limitations were identified. Sources from inside the company speculated to Kotaku.com that the aging computers and point-of-sale software were not equipped to handle such a complicated service. It's safe to assume another limitation would put pressure on the service, and that would be GameStop's pre-owned stock. If the service was a success, they better have the stock to fulfill the demands of their subscribers. They didn't want to make a promise they can't keep. GameStop has infamously survived on reselling used games. Customers can trade in their used games for pennies on the dollar, and the store sells them for a few bucks less than full price. In this transaction, GameStop keeps all the profit, and game publishers are seeing nothing on the repeat sale. These publishers know this, and they have a simple solution. Make games that no one wants to trade in. Games as a Service This is the new buzz term that video game publishers are pushing. Take-Two, arguably the most successful publisher in the space, has a different term. Recurrent consumer spending. CEO Strauss Zelnick had this to say to investors in an earning call on November 7th. Quote, We aim to have recurrent consumer spending opportunities for every title we put out of this company. One of the things we've learned is if we create a robust opportunity and a robust world in which people can play delightfully in a bigger and bigger way, they will keep coming back, they will engage, and there is an opportunity to monetize that engagement." The company responsible for Grand Theft Auto V and the NBA 2K series can say this with confidence. Grand Theft Auto V officially became the greatest selling game of all time in September, having sold 85 million copies to date. Since its September 2013 release, it's cracked the top 10 in sales in 42 out of a possible 50 months. The success of its online mode, aptly named Grand Theft Auto Online, is an obvious reason for the longevity. The game, much like the publisher's NBA series, does not shy away from selling in-game currency for real-life cash. Four years after its release, people are still buying this game, and its monetization of players has not scared people away. And though numbers are not public, you can imagine it is certainly generating recurrent consumer spending. If a game is just a gateway to a dedicated marketplace within the game, does the entry cost really even matter? The insanely popular Fortnite Battle Royale is an entirely free game, making money off selling simply cosmetic items. Super Data Research reports the game made $126 million in the month of February alone. Launching in the second half of 2016, the free mobile game Pokemon Go made over $950 million by year's end, and that was off optional in-game purchases only. These success stories are built on the idea that gaming is inherently social. People want to enjoy games with friends, and if you can introduce someone to a game without having to convince them to spend $60, there's a better chance they will give it a shot, and in turn, keep you more engaged. Video game publishers know this, and they may see Xbox's Game Pass as an opportunity. But if the industry shifts to a Netflix-style distribution, how will games adapt in order to monetize to their wider audience? Say what you want about Toy Story 2, the video game, but at least I didn't have to pay $5 to play as Buzz Lightyear.
I'm excited to be joined by Shoaib Ali, better known as Sho, a uh, former classmate of mine, current colleague. Uh, Sho is a radio producer for Fan 590 in Toronto and also the host and producer of the Showtime Movie Podcast Show. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks, Mark. So I thought with your movie experience and your sports experience, you'd be the perfect one to uh, bring on for the video game discussion. Excellent. How did that work? I have no idea. So Game Pass, it's it, like on paper, I wouldn't say it's too good to be true, but it, it's an interesting value proposition, right? Like you're paying the price of a game, gives you this pretty big catalog of games, unlimited play. Is this service for you? Like, can you see yourself subscribing to it now? I. I am now using the trial. I use the trial that came with my uh, the Xbox One X when I upgraded, but and it hasn't yet run out because I, I kind of waited. I was kind of waiting um, until more games came out for it to like activate the the trial code. But uh, I I can see myself subscribing. Although I will say that I am maybe a little. I don't want. I don't know if old fashioned is the right word because I mean how old are video games really? But uh, I prefer owning my video games in a physical sense i i don't really i don't really care i admit for the digital uh the digital age we're in you know if that, if that makes sense i i like to have hold it in my hands and hold the disc and maybe you know maybe i can play offline or and i know there are workarounds and that kind of thing but while game pass is awesome and i i think it is pretty unique I, at the same time i like to i like to have yeah. my physical copies preaching to the choir you've seen the <laughs> alphabetized yeah, video yeah. game collection i have in my house like it needs to be on point i like having the box and i mean to go a step further when you own something digitally i'm using air quotes here like even then whether you truly own something is up for debate real quick tangent uh there's a story of the book um 1984 that there was a confusion on whether the statute of limitations for it to be freely published by book publishers um when kindle was first coming out in 2000 That's right, and, yeah. and they basically released the book people bought it for five bucks and then one day they woke up Book was gone. Story was that uh, they mistakenly released it. They didn't have the rights to. Everyone got their five dollars back. You know, no harm to say no foul. But at the same time, it's a little bit invasive for one, and it kind of shows the fragility of like truly owning something. Yeah. If it's digital, um, but the thing about like with discs now, it's kind of the same thing. Like the disc is just your physical license to play the game. You like see a thieves. Perfect example. I pop it in, and it's like 800 megabytes. And for those who don't game that much, some, like a game like Halo 5 that came out two years ago is like a whopping 97 gigabytes now. And this game is, you know, a fraction of that fraction of that size, but then it had to download a day one patch. It has to, you know, download all this information. So if I wasn't connected to the internet, I don't really have access to that game. That's true. Which is, I mean, Game Pass is obviously targeted towards people with that. Now, just kind of moving on, um, in the intro, we talked about how this initiative and initiatives like it uh, can have effect on the brick and mortar, like the old-fashioned models. And uh, GameStop, which is essentially EB Games in Canada, uh, they tried to adapt in the States with this really bizarre, like when I first heard of it, I thought it was too good to be true, this PowerPass program. Um, now, this is something I think I would definitely have subscribed to, given the choice. For the cost of a game, six months, I get to take out as many games as I like. Obviously, you got to return one before you grab another, and I get to keep one at the end. So, I mean, if I played a game for six months, it was going to be used anyway, so I don't mind playing five or six games and picking one used game at the end. Now, it didn't work. They kind of backed out very quietly. Why do you think... I mean, the speculation was outdated, you know, computer system... 
Um, I kind of alluded to maybe there's something to do with their stock. They didn't want to put that type of stress on their stock or an expectation for customers. What would you think was the reason that program didn't work? Well, we've been talking so much about digital, right? And I think I think it that has a large is a large part of it. You know, I mean, if you think about it, I think you can probably compare the PowerPass program to you know, like Blockbuster almost, right? It's, uh, and why did Blockbuster go out of business? Because you could get everything di- digitally, right? Like because of Netflix, right? And I think in that, in that sense, I mean, they did back up pretty quietly and they backed up pretty quickly, right? And so I, I think in, in that sense, I think that's that probably a major reason. Like why bother me? If I'm, if I'm GameStop and you're the consumer, why would I really bother making like five titles available to you over six months when I, I would just rather you buy something for nineteen ninety nine, which I'm making way more money on anyways, right? Because if I'm buying a game back from you, the consumer, at like a fraction of the cost, you bought it from me new in the first place, and then some other second person buys it back for like $30, let's say, then I'm making so much more money than you paying me $60 once over six months, basically, right? So I think it's, they probably just realize they can make way more money than off of people like you and me instead of just giving us a, or a license, I guess, for some games, right? There's a trend now. I feel like, I mean, one of the biggest games right now, it's hard not to see, depending on... Uh, I feel like it's kind of weaseled its way into the sports industry as more and more like players and fans are kind of dancing and reacting uh, to celebrations they saw in Fortnite. Fortnite's kind mm. of, uh, I wouldn't call it a fad per se. Um, I know you don't have very much experience in it, but the the numbers don't lie. Like it's a free to play game that's found a way onto the. No one has an excuse to not play it. It's on iPhone, a computer, PlayStation, it's on your Xbox. IPhone, really? It's yeah. I didn't know that. Wow. It it well not my. It's coming to Android hopefully one day. <laughs> but on iPhone, it's why and it's in. Um, just I guess to fill you in here. It is completely cross-platform, with the exception of PlayStation and Xbox, which obviously can't play yeah, nice. Yeah. Uh, but I'm talking like someone on PC, if they opt in, and someone touch con- touch controls on their little iPhone, like six-inch screen, That's crazy. could be playing. I'm going to spoiler alert. The person with the mouse and keyboard is winning that battle, <laughs> but at least they could be playing. So this game has found a way to make insane amount of money, and that is strictly off optional in-game purchases uh there's something called a battle pass and the battle pass basically gives you in-game goals like achievements that then get you experience points that can then get you stars that can then get you tiers that that can then get you coins that can then get you costumes like they basically threw in like 17 different not currencies but like progression systems that all equate to basically am i wearing a cool hat or a cool outfit or whatever And it's making, you know, it made 190 million in a single month. So it's making insane money. That's based off the ability to get the game into people's hands. Mm -hmm. So on that tangent, just to throw it to you now, if Game Pass and these free-to-play games are starting to dominate the industry, how does that affect, like, what a typical AAA game needs to do? Like, a typical big release, think of... The next, well, Grand Theft Auto may have already mastered this, but let's think the next Halo game. How can a game like that make the most of this new trend? Well, you know, I think, oh, it's a, like, it's a really good question because I, I'm, I almost want to say the really big games, right? Like, and I think Halo is a good example, right? I think the really, really big games probably don't need to change all that much, right? Because, I mean, 
Halo, I think, is at the point now where the brand recognition for the Master Chief is so huge that, like, people who, you know, people who don't even know about video games know what Halo is, right? So I think for something like Halo, I think they don't really need to change all that much. For a, com- for a video game company like Rockstar that makes GTA, that makes Red Dead Redemption, um, that makes, you know, L.A. Noir or whatever, right? I don't think they really need to change all that much, but I think maybe the games that that suffer from or that could potentially suffer from growing stale like call of duty maybe for example maybe they need to change something and i mean maybe we're seeing it now right we we, we saw what there was there was the modern warfare series and then they did advanced warfare and then they did infinite warfare and now they went back to uh, world war and in between that there's like black ops and, and ghosts Ghost and yeah, like yeah. a million exactly so <laughs> like may- maybe they need to change a certain part of their or their game maybe they need to like lower the price of some of these games if they're coming out so frequently and i think a, gr- a great example of this honestly i think is the assassin's creed like i, I don't want to say trilogy the the franchise i guess right because they remember how they used to come out every year and it was almost like they were just reskinning the game with a new like time period and some new boxes to collect and the the same crappy story and then it, it the franchise really took a dip honestly it, it, it and then and it kind of culminated with unity which was plagued by glitches and day one patches and server issues and so on and so forth and i i feel like that really killed a lot of people's momentum for the for the franchise and now and then they announced that they were switching to every other year releases and honestly the games that have come out since then maybe because they've put more effort into them have been a lot better honestly like assassin's creed syndicate was pretty good and they had just released assassin's creed origins which i have not yet played but i've heard amazing things about it the thing that i'm worried about about these games And I guess it's not necessarily something to be worried about because it does create a competitive, almost consumer-friendly, you know, environment here. But if people are playing Fortnite, like, I can't get my friends to click on the free trial for Game Pass and download Sea of Thieves because they're just like, why would I do that? I'm enjoying this free game that they've been playing for months, which when they hear this, they'll find out that I'm starting to get sick of. But I continue (laughs) to play because uh, I love spending that time with friends. But... If there's a game like Fortnite that's free Mm. or there's a service like Game Pass, which is accessible or EA access, and I'm getting Madden for free, not free, but included in my subscription fee, I'm getting Halo eventually. I'm going to get the new Gears of War, not to mention games with gold, just paying for your online subscription service. You're getting four games a month. When you're getting all this, like, I know, and I think you're in the same boat, like, I have more games or at least access to more games than I can play. Like yeah, I don't yeah. play every game that I own once again, air quotes, cause a lot of these are zapped into my system through these services that I don't own, but I have access to. And then it puts a stress for me to play them because I only have access. You know what I mean? It's yeah, kind yeah, of a, yeah. how does a game survive being trying to sell for $80 when people can just play all these other options for free? Yeah, it's true. I, I guess, I mean, I guess that's the issue that, microsoft specifically might have right because all of these games are like microsoft game studios i think is what their like branch of video game the video game company is called and uh i guess they're willing to maybe take the hit on the digital on the sorry the physical copies for for getting the the xbox game pass thing and you know what honestly i i think they rely a lot because obviously game pass is so new obviously it's not on the level of netflix yet but i mean netflix is the same way right i mean you're you pay quote unquote or i don't say quote unquote you are paying with real money for netflix but then you you get like for free i guess you get uh all these other 
movies and you know we were talking about you know there's movies like bright and all the netflix originals and whatever right and you, you you're not really paying for these even though you you are technically right that's how people view it at least in their heads right yeah, that, so that's a discussion i always fascinates me on your podcast the it's a showtime yeah um it's showtime a film podcast i love like for i mean the kind of thesis of this is the new distribution models exactly, and where yeah. is it you see, you know, the Marshall McLuhan quote, like the medium is the message, mm-hmm, right? Like mm-hmm. how something's delivered, not how something's delivered to you, what you are using to consume media, whether it's a radio, a television, et cetera. I think it's like changed. Now it's like, how are these things being distributed to you? Like the distribution is kind of the message is kind of what I'm getting at here. And I think that's fascinating. Like let's talk about Netflix for just a second here and about those movies. Um, I can kind of see parallels between you're saying that almost the subs- the subscriptions are subsidizing content and they're just like reaching for as much original content. And whereas it used to be all these original shows, they're coming out in movies. So how, ha- how do you think Netflix's movies initiatives, the ones that are direct to it and bright might be the biggest uh, name. That was the one with Will Smith. Yeah. Uh, how do you think that initiative is doing for Netflix? Honestly, it, it seems to be doing really well for them, right? I mean, they seem to be making oodles of money. And, and I think it's important because those movies are not very good, right? Like, they're entertaining in, in parts, but by, by and large, the, the the movies that you're seeing on, the original movies, I should say, that you're seeing on Netflix have all been kind of stinkers, right? In terms of re- reviews and ratings and, 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 and user reviews even as well. And and I think Netflix is, is, the only thing that's a little different from Netflix is that they don't publish their uh, their viewer data, right? They kind of like leak it to you, the consumer, in in the way that will seem as as beneficial to them as possible. Like I think when Bright came out, it was something like eleven million people watched Bright in the first weekend, right? And, and one it's million like, of those had it auto play after exactly, playing exactly. something they, else, but they yeah. like fell asleep or something. Yeah. Or same, sim, similarly with the Cloverfield Paradox, right? Like all these movies. Like, how, how do you really gauge who is watching these movies? But if, if that works for them, then they're going to keep doing it, right? Which is why Game Pass is so interesting because, you know, Game Pass is kind of doing the same thing, but then you all, it's it's different because they're being made by, you know, different studios and or, or different parts of Microsoft Game Studios and they're they're putting them on there. But I guess if, like, a million people don't buy, uh, let's say... So I, I, I think I, I, to get slightly off topic here, I think it's important to note that most gamers, right, like are probably not like you and you and I, right? They probably don't buy like more than three, four video games, three, four, like seventy nine, ninety nine Canadian I mean, dollar video games in a in a calendar yeah, year. There's nothing right? wrong with. I mean, there are people that, and I, like on the at Sports Center, we work with a few. At least I work with a few. Mm-hmm. They'll buy NBA, Two K, Madden, Call of Duty. Every year, you yeah. know, buy those three and that's it. And maybe they, they might buy NHL that year or whatever, but they buy these annual releases and you're right. They're not exactly like the, the same purchasing habits that we have for sure. So, so I think, I, I guess like is what I'm saying is in terms of those purchasing habits, I think those are the people that I think are trying to be, are trying to be reached with game pass right they're not i don't think they're necessarily trying to reach you and i because we're gonna buy the other games for like for whatever price they come out because we like playing video games and you know maybe having it on my shelf yeah in ha- alphabet- alphabetized order let's go yeah so but yeah. If, if you can if microsoft can make the lives of those guys more convenient then they don't mind losing one of the 79.99 passes and those guys can just like you know i don't want to say it's not renting because you're not renting something from netflix but you're you're getting access to it and they can play it for as much as they want and they're probably going to make 
make more money from those guys in the long run with a pricey uh, subscription to Game Pass uh, than they might off of anything else. And I, th- I think that I think the main difference between Game Pass and Netflix, honestly, at this point, is just the price, right? Because you pay, uh, I think, what like eight ninety nine if you were grandfathered in into that price. You pay eight ninety nine a month, which works out to be uh, you know just over a hundred dollars a year, and you know, but people don't really think about it like that, right? And I think Game Pass, what was the price for Game Pass you said again? So it's in Canada, $71 for six months. For six months, right. So it's, it's yeah. the price is, is comparable, but I think because movies are, are just as like a, a product, like you don't really have to, like you put a movie on, you don't have to do anything. You sit there and you watch it, right? Whereas, uh, and it's, and it's like two and a half to three hours at the absolute max, unless you're watching something like a documentary or you're watching like the Titanic yeah, yeah. or something, right? Whereas video games, you have to actually put energy into playing. You have to actually do something and think about something and you and, and and it's not just two hours most of the time it's usually like like what 12 to 15 hours minimum for like a really short single player game right yeah. so like on the on the flip side the argument there is i mean video games are typically more expensive than your movie mm-hmm. so it almost feels like if you only have so much time in the day you, it makes sense like to have that netflix now netflix also is something that game pass doesn't have yet right is exclusive content. Like, there's things on Netflix that you can only get on Netflix. Right, right. And it seems to work. Like, those, the Netflix original series, I remember when there was, like, four, and they were, like, all hits. It's, like, every single one, they're batting a 1,000, and now they're batting, like, 350, yeah, but they have, a, they have a few home <laughs> runs, right? Like, they're a decent, you know, yeah, I mean, they're an everyday was, player yeah, in, yeah. in the MLB here. So, yeah. yeah. Um, they're going all in on exclusive content. And I think it's like Netflix success is proving that it works. Do you think that Microsoft, what would be, what would be the game to be like, this game is on game. And maybe it comes out to everyone else month later, two months later. I mean, I think any more than that, you're kind of playing with fire, but like this game is exclusive for this month before anyone else on game pass. Honestly, I think you, I think it would be halo six. It would be. I think it would be the. I think it would be the. It would be the culmination of this last trilogy of Halo. If they build it as the last ever Halo game, we're never going to see the Master Chief again. It's the end of the Master Chief story. We're moving on from Halo. This is the last Halo game you'll ever play. They, we're we've, we're bringing back split screen co op on your couch. You know, here here's all the things, and you can only play it on Game Pass. I am 100% signing up for Game Pass. I won't even. I wouldn't even think. But about you wouldn't it. be happy about it. You, no, I, I'd be a little mad. I would yeah. be mad that I'm being like coerced into well, Game Pass. I can but picture I would, this. I would do Me and it. you, we sign up for Game Pass. We're going to pay our 15 bucks a month. It's actually quite expensive for the monthly thing. So 15 bucks a month. We play that game for the month, and we're like, okay, well this this has a spot on my my shelf. So like, I want to go buy it now. Yeah. So now I just paid 15 bucks to play it, and then Plus, I'm going out yeah. to pay the 80 bucks to buy it. And it's not like during that that month. Like I'm so excited to play this game. I just paid 15 bucks. It's not like, ooh, I'm going to play ooh, Mad Max or like some other game yeah, they yeah. offer on it, right? Like right now, to be fair, the offering is kind of like every game that's good, I find I already own, which is, you know, more of a criticism of my spending habits than yeah, a criticism yeah. of the service. But like they say 100 games, but they pad that a little bit with Xbox 360 backwards sure, compatibility yeah, yeah. and stuff. Um, but yeah, I'm paying to play Halo. I don't see myself necessarily going like oh now i have the service i might as well use it i feel like that's a that's a dangerous place as a consumer to feel obligated to everyone's done it they subscribe for something that they may not have wanted to and then they feel like there's an obligation to go sometimes that's good like it's the gym 
like you, you subscribe to a gym or you, you pay for a membership and you feel like you got to go. Maybe not, maybe not me, Ellie. <laughs> yeah. Other times it was like, I remember as a kid playing World of Warcraft growing up and I pay my 20 bucks a month to play World of Warcraft. Right, and then right. I come home from school and it's like, well, I'm already paying for it. Like yeah. I might, like I feel bad if I, a month went by and I didn't play, which happened once or twice. Like I felt like an idiot. Like I wasted 20 bucks. Thank you for joining show. Um, some great discussion. So tell us a little about the Showtime, It's Showtime podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, thanks for letting me, thanks for having me on the show, first of all. And uh, yeah, Showtime, you've been on the podcast before. It's uh, just me talking about some movies, reviewing some some the latest things in theaters and talking about some news in Hollywood. Ready Player One will be the next, uh, on the video game subject, Ready Player One and Ramp- Rampage are going to be the next movies I uh, review. Awesome. And you, people can find you on Twitter. Yeah, my Twitter handle is S-N-S-A-L-L-I, which is S-N-S Alley. Awesome. So thanks again. That's everything. Thank you for listening to Poddraw. This was just one of three episodes available now that explores how evolving distribution models have changed the way that we consume media. Show notes can be found at poddrop.buzzsprout.com. Please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Podcast Addict, or wherever you get your podcasts. And leave reviews. Or engage with the show on Twitter, at Show or by emailing podropshow at gmail.com.